Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. Are you waiting for something? Most of us are, so what are you waiting for? Much like our world today, back in the first century, the people of Israel were waiting for a political hero and deliverer. Sadly, though, when their true deliverer and king arrived, most of the people did not recognize him. His name was Jesus of Nazareth, and he presented himself to his people on a day we know as the Triumphal Entry or Palm Sunday, a week before Easter. Initially, people were excited, but that excitement faded quickly. Yet the king pressed on. Let's join Pastor Jim in part one of his message, The King Who Comes. Let me ask you something. What are you waiting for? We're all waiting for something. So what are you waiting for? What are you uh, hoping to get out of life? What if Jesus told you that you can find uh, what you need as long as you're looking in the right place? If you're looking in the wrong place, you're not going to find it. But if you're looking in the right place, Jesus says you can actually find what you're waiting for and what you really want out of life. In first century Israel, so we go back 2,000 years ago, the people were living under what we call Roman occupation. That means that they were part of the Roman Empire and the Romans had soldiers there. Uh, The Jewish people were particularly a pebble in their shoe. Did you ever get a pebble in your shoe? It feels like you got this massive boulder in your shoe. And the the Jewish people were a pebble in the shoe of the Roman Empire, so they were particularly uh, tough on them at times. And the people of God, the Israelites, were waiting for their Messiah, who they largely wanted to be a political deliverer. Does that sound familiar to you? It's like in the United States, we are waiting for this political deliverer. Uh, Sadly, though, as we begin our look at what's often called Passion Week or Holy Week, uh, the week of the cross, the perfect king... God himself came to the people. He had been there for three years, but now he's going to come right into the capital city. And many of the people actually missed it because they were not looking in the right place or for the way the right person was, who was coming was going to be, what he was going to be like. That carries with us a very, very difficult reality for some of us to accept that many of the so-called people of God, people who, I'm a Christian, I believe, I'm, I'm, I'm all about it, are in fact not really the true people of God. As I say to you often, sometimes some of you meet me under different conditions on the doorway on the way out, and they'll say to me, uh, Pastor Jim, sometimes you talk like the people uh, that are here at church, like everybody's not a Christian. And I always go, is there a question in that? (laughs) And so this is going to be a lot of people that go to church, even your friends, that they are not really the true people of God. That could be you today. If it's you, I'm glad you're here. And, and the Gospel of Luke, or as he's known to us this week as Dr. Luke, he, he was a, indeed a doctor, he wants us to see that. He wants us to see that not all people who claim to be followers of God, followers of Yahweh uh, in that day, uh, are not. People who say that they're Christians, not all of them are. 
and to, and to realign our priorities to be focused on the Lord Jesus. Now, let me just do a disclaimer. That does not mean that politics is unimportant. Politics is very important, but it's not necessarily the most important thing. But, but it does mean, according to Jesus, not me, if he is not Lord over all of our lives, then he's really not Lord at all. And if he's not Lord over all of our lives, we may be missing the title of our message today, The King Who Comes. Dr. Luke's point is simply this, the coming of the Lord Jesus will bring one of two things for people. It will either bring joy or it will bring calamity. Eternally joyful or eternal calamity. Here too. And it really depends upon one thing. It's when he comes, when he comes to you, and that is my hope and prayer today, that he will come to each and every one of us, even me as I speak. It depends upon whether it's joy or calamity for us. Our future depends upon how he is received by us as individuals. So we just read it, Luke 20, 19, 28. Let's read it again. When he, Jesus, had said this. Now, he's just, he's just taught a parable. And we don't have time to go into it, but in the parable, it's very interesting. He said, basically, that he was the Lord and he was going to go away for a while. He's been predicting his death all along. He will talk to uh, his disciples about, you know, he's going away. He's been telling everybody he's going away. He's been telling everybody he's going to be crucified. And what happened with the people? It went right over their head. So he went, uh, when he said, had said this, this parable, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So in the previous section and all throughout the Gospels, there's, there's numerous mentions of the king and the kingdom. I, I love that. We've said this before. I love that about Jesus. We typically get into arguments with people and we mistake in the fact that Jesus gets into the arguments with the religious leaders. He doesn't with the, with the common men and women. Most of us are common men and women. I, don't have, I have no problem saying I'm a common man and woman. So when we are talking to people, I love what it says to Jesus about Jesus. And it says, well, he healed them and he preached the kingdom. Is that what we do with people? Do we preach the kingdom? Do we tell them the wonderful joys of, of what it's like to know a savior? Well, you can't speak about something you know nothing about. And maybe some of us are so tied up in a knot that we're not even experiencing the kingdom. We're not enjoying the kingdom. And so he's been talking about the king and the kingdom. And uh, he did say he's going to go away for a while. But now at this moment, the king is on the move to the capital city. Uh, This day in our corner of the world in particular, the way most people would be in church this morning, it's known as Palm Sunday. And what we will notice is Luke doesn't talk about the palms at all. He doesn't even mention them at all. What does that tell you? The palms are not the point. The palms are not the point. Now, how many of you grew up in a church that, where they did Palm Sunday? Okay, most of you, most of you. And, and how many of you, did they give you palms on your way out? 
most of you, most of you. And how many of you men used it as a sword to terrorize your brothers and sisters? Most of you, most of you. <laughs> my, my parents are like, that's not the point. I'm like, oh, it's fun though, mom and dad. You know, my dad would just be laughing at us. Uh, others call it the triumphal entry. And because of the fact that they would think of it in terms of Rome, when Rome would have a great victory, they would have a triumphal entry uh, into the city. In fact, somebody would come and announce that the Roman army was coming or the king was coming or the general was coming. And actually it was called the Evangelion, the good news. They would announce the good news that the king was coming. And that's where we get the terminology from, uh, good news. And it would be they would come in following a victory. But as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, it's really not a triumphal entry. The temple has been lost and it's been lost for some time to the religious leaders. And many of the people were not free at all. They were still captives to a very, very bad religious system. And we have to remember that many of the people that we know in our area are captives to a bad religious system or have dropped out of a bad religious system. So what do we do with such people? I know some of us want to pick on their religious system. What I say we do is we preach the kingdom to them. We tell them about the kingdom. We tell them about the king. For those reasons, some people call this the triumphal procession. As, as we see in verse 42, Jesus is a king of peace. This is not a military victory that's coming in. This is someone coming to bring peace. Now, make no mistake of what happens this week. Jesus is in complete control of the situation. Uh, people were wondering, was Jesus going to show up in the city or not? I mean, it started to become widely known that the religious leaders wanted to kill him. But they don't want to kill him this week. This week is Passover week. The city is packed with people, and a lot of people from where Jesus is from in the area of, of Galilee. And so they, it, it's during Passover, they don't want to do it. But the reaction of the people and some of the things that we will discuss this week will force their hands, the religious leaders' hands, to kill Jesus on Passover. They don't want to do it, but that's God's plan. Jesus' humble entry is not to conquer Rome. That's exactly what the people want, but it's not to conquer Rome. Rather, it's a statement of God's plan. And it is a statement of the nature of Jesus' kingship. Once again, the question becomes, how is it received by you? I want you to be thinking about that as we're going through this. How are you going to receive the way Jesus enters? You want him to crush the Romans. Maybe you're one of the people there. You want him to crush the Romans, but he gives no indication that that's what he's come to do. Will you receive him with joy? Will you receive him with indifference? Or will you flat out reject him? Will you reject God's plan and Jesus himself. You see, how you and I view these Holy Week or Passion Week events, how we react to them, tells us a lot about what we think 
about God's plan for his son to be the savior of the world. And as he does, I would say, every time we come together, Jesus is going to call every single one of us. Me too. And I've spent a lot of time with this text. He's going to call every one of us, you two at home, to make a decision. And like I often say to people when, you know, people owning businesses and being a pastor of a church, when I say to somebody, what did you do? And I said, they they go, I did nothing. And I go, oh, how did you come to the conclusion to make a decision to do nothing? They go, what do you mean? I go, to do nothing is to make a decision to do nothing. So if you say, I'm not making a decision for Jesus, that is a decision against Jesus. So three things, we'll go slowly as we go through them. I want us to look at, we want to look at the preparations for the king, the arrival of the king, and why many can't see the king. Number one, preparations for the king. Verse 29, let's set the stage. It's the Sunday before the cross and the resurrection, most likely. People debate on the dates or days. We're not going to get into that. Verse 29 says, And it came to pass when he drew near Bethpage, or Bethphage, as some people say. I'm from Long Island, so I say Bethpage. And Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, very, the Old Testament Uh, tied the Messiah very closely to the Mount of Olives, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you uh, uh, where as you enter, you will find a colt or some versions say a young donkey on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. So he says to two disciples, they don't even get their name mentioned. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it or why are you untying it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it, just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the cult, the owners of it said to him, why are you loosing the cult? I mean, they're jacking the cult. Why are you, you, know, why, why are you cult jacking, right, man? What's up with that? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Now, if you're going to jack a car, do not say that to the policeman when he stops you, Okay. The, the verse 35, then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their clothes on the cult and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. So right now, Jesus is directing the events of his entrance into Jerusalem. And he does it, he starts it by sending two of his disciples on a mission. In, in light of this massive holiday. I mean, you want to get into the city. You want to get a place to stay. You don't, you don't want to be delayed at all. You're right, you're right there. You're right there. You know that, that Jesus is going to go into the city. You don't want to miss anything. You want to stay right with him. You know the political scene is really difficult. The Romans have brought an extra people for the Passover. You know the religious leaders have it out for Jesus. Jesus is hot, if you will. You know, they, they're really... The, The people are just kind of tense about what's going on with this Galilean carpenter, this prophet from Nazareth. Do you want to leave him? But he pulls two of them aside and and he says, I want you to do something for me. Let me ask you this question. Would you do, or not would you do, would you be willing to do such a menial task for Jesus? Don't answer that question. That's a hard question. That's not a, oh, yes, Pastor Jim, yes, Pastor Jim right? Would you be willing 
to do that for Jesus? What, what if Jesus said, come here, come here, come here, come here. I have a really important job for you to do. I mean, really important. I mean, some of you know this story. I've told it so many times. The first thing I was ever asked to do when I went to Calvary Chapel was I was a youth leader. We had a retreat. There's 200 kids there. There's one bathroom with one toilet. The youth pastor comes up to me and goes, I need you to do something really, really important. I thought, oh, this is it, man. What do you want me to speak? You want me to do the announcements? You want me to do crowd control? Why do you want me to goes, the toilet's stuffed up. <laughs> Would you unclog it? And you know what? I was so excited. I wonder if I would be that excited right now. I wouldn't be that excited right now. And so what do, you, what do you think? Jesus comes up to you. He says, come here, I got an important job for you. I want you to go someplace to another place and find this young donkey, and I want you to bring it to me. You say, why are you making such a big deal about this? Do you know I've seen people leave a church over being asked to do something that they thought was below them? And I've also seen multimillionaires park cars and refuse to be the leader of the ministry because they just wanted to serve and be told what to do. So would you be willing to do that? Now, the big question is, had Jesus made previous arrangements? You know, did he give, did he, did he tell his friends, I'm going to serve, send some guys and, and they're going to have a secret password. The Lord has need of it. I think, I don't think so. I think that he's following the direction of the Holy Spirit and his heavenly father. However, when it comes to people that are willing to serve the Lord and people that are willing to give things to the Lord, in this case, this, this donkey, this, this cult that's never been ridden, I have found that, that sacrificial obedience and being willing to suffer for Christ has brought incredible clarity to me at times and brought incredible clarity to other people. I am shocked sometimes at the spiritual depth of people who make sacrifices and who are suffering. Have you experienced that? And if not, don't be surprised. And, I, and remember this moment, if you're suffering or, or you're sacrificing for something and all of a sudden there's this clarity that you're like, where did that come from? It just seems to come to those people. Now, the owners of, of, of the donkey, I'm perfectly willing to admit, could be friends of Jesus, but, but like the disciples that are willing to go, they stand ready for Jesus' call to service. Now, here's a soul-searching question for you. We live in some crazy times right now, don't we? Some very, very unique, unique times. Are you ready and by the way, that's why we're doing the book of Daniel. That's why we did the life of Abraham. Are you ready for these unique times? Or are you just hoping that the government's going to fix it? They can't even pave Route 80. <laughs> You're like, oh, I thought they just forgot to take those dividers up or something like that. No. There's a lot of uh, great ancient world symbolism that's here. A king could command you to give up your animal. That would be a sign of Jesus' royalty. An animal that was never ridden was considered to be sacred, just as the tomb that Jesus was buried in was never used before. Verse 35, it says they, they, they set Jesus on him, a picture of enthroning the king. 
but Jesus knows he's, he's riding to his death. It's interesting, he's going to ride into Jerusalem, but when you read the, the gospel accounts, when you read the Old Testament accounts, the people didn't ride anything. They, they would bring animals with them, but they would walk into Jerusalem. It was a sign of, of respect. The king, the king would ride into the city, but Jesus knows he's riding to his death. Other kings powerfully rode in on war horses and the people shouted and they, and they laid their clothes on the road. But Jesus rides in on a donkey to demonstrate his humility. Now, the symbolism here would not go unnoticed at all by the religious leaders, not at all. Over 600 years earlier, Zechariah writes this in chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the religious leaders would watch this scene and they would be hot. They'd be like, we know exactly what he's doing. He is declaring to us, he is making a statement to us that he is the Messiah. Now, let's look, think for a second of this expression, the Lord has need of it. That is not to say that Jesus needs our help. I know for some of us, we think, oh, that's very insulting, but that's just the truth. Jesus does not need our help. Like we often say around here, we do not have to serve we get to serve. It is a privilege to serve. I remember, I remember that every time I stand before you. This is a privilege that God has given to me. I don't know that it's a privilege for you, but it's a privilege for me. It also tells us that Jesus had many friends by, by them saying, the Lord has need of it. Jesus had many friends besides the 12 apostles. And these friends were ready to answer the call no matter how small. And that's something that we have to remember for all of us. God uses uncommon people to do extraordinary things. He uses ordinary people to do the extraordinary. He uses common things to do the uncommon. And if you think that something is below you, if I think that something is below me, it's time for a real heart check. Let me remember that I don't have to do this, but I get to do this. How wonderful it is to be a church full of people who all they need to hear is the Lord has need of it. That's all they have to hear. The Lord has need of it. Now you say, well, I don't think you'll I'll really hear that too often. But when you hear of a need, you know that the Lord has need of it. The question becomes, Lord, do you want me to be part of that? Number two, the arrival of the king. Verse 37, then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works. Some versions say miracles they had seen saying, and they're yelling out uh, things from a messianic Psalm, Psalm 118, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Very similar to what the angels said first Christmas morning, but not everybody's happy. Look at verse 39. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, 
Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to shut up. Now, these are the same guys that said, what they say about Jesus? We will not have this man rule over us. <laughs> Verse 40, classic Jesus. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. <laughs> now, notice here, I know that many of you are used to, you're, you're still thinking about being a kid, having a sword of palms and, you know, you know whacking your little sister with it or something like that. Not that I ever did anything like that, trust me. But, um, but, but notice how Luke is keeping us focused on Jesus and the mission of God plus the reactions of the people to Jesus. The crowd is growing and many of the people know two things that have just happened. Jesus has just made a blind man be able to see and he has just raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And you know, that's one of the wonders of the kingdom, that God opens the eyes of the blind and that God raises the spiritually dead. Thank you for spending the last half hour with Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love is designed to help you deepen your relationship with Christ no matter where you are in your journey. Teaming with Changed by Love financially makes it possible to reach thousands, many more than you and I could reach on our own. We are stronger together than we could ever be apart. Please consider a generous gift today. Give safely and securely online at changedbyloveradio.org. You'll find our address there, too, if you'd rather send a check. You can always reach us by phone at 862-217-9686. It takes a team to encourage thousands. You and Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney. changedbyloveradio.org.